WTF1 presents Hot Takes Wednesday. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Hot Takes Wednesday. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison, and we're coming back to you after the first ever, well, not first ever, but first in 40 plus years, the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Um, And well... That was quite an eventful weekend, um, but a lot of ups, lots of downs. I, I guess, I guess the, the whole gambling experience goes hand in hand with it, um, and we certainly got that over the weekend in Vegas. And joining me to make sense of it all, um, he's back on the show. You know him most likely as the F1 stats guru. You may have seen him on the Inside Line F1 podcast as well. He's back for another round. It's Cinderam. Hello, buddy. How's it going? <clears throat> Hey, Ray. I'm super excited to be back. I think we had a brilliant first episode a couple of months ago. I agree. Super fun. Super fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the best thing about doing these sort of uh, hot take video- videos or podcasts is the fact you hear a lot of differing opinions and perspectives. I usually do this on my channel as well after each race and the range of questions that come in, it really kind of helps you dig in a little bit more into the race, the sort of stuff that you don't see during the race mm. as well. So, it's great to dissect and discuss and uh, try to find answers to a lot more things than you usually see. So I'm super excited to take on today's hot takes. So yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, so yeah, you sit around those the drill, but uh, for case you don't, because as I always say on this show, uh, every podcast is someone's first. Um, welcome to Hot Takes Wednesday. On this show, you, the fine WTF1 audience, sending your takes. There's a number of ways you can do that. You can follow us on Twitter at WTF1 Official. Look out on Monday morning for the Hot Takes Wednesday post just, and reply to that post if you want to get your takes in that way. You can also DM me on Instagram, um, Dre Harrison WTF1. If you want to DM me on there, you'll take from Instagram can get on there as well. Or you can email the show at contact at WTF1.com. Send in an email. They all get forwarded to my beloved inbox, and I will try and pick out some of the best ones week to week. Uh, big shout out to everybody that helped out for the sprint special as well last week. That was a very, very fun and a lot of really genuinely great ideas. So thank you all very much for that. Once uh, I pick these takes out, uh, me and our guest, in this case, Sundaram, we will go a little bit back and forth on each of these takes, have a little bit of our opinion go a little bit uh, back and forth on them and then we will score them on a scale of one to five one being that we strongly disagree and five being that we strongly agree it's like every survey you've ever taken on the internet it's fun so without further ado Cinderam are you ready to get started yes let's go before we unleash the latest round of hot takes, I've been playing F1 Clash in my downtime recently, and in their latest update, they've added the chance to play as the professor himself, Adam Prost. Adam Prost was a four-time world champion, one of the sport's most intelligent and consistently excellent drivers. At one point, he held the all-time wins record in F1 history with 51, and is still one of the sport's most decorated today. And he's one of the new drivers available of F1 Clash's legendary drivers update. Legendary drivers can be unlocked by playing the newly introduced Collection Milestones reward track and amassing collection points. This track rewards players for upgrading their existing drivers and components, so the more they upgrade, the more rewards they can unlock. In order to unlock every legendary driver, all assets will need to be upgraded to the max level first. Other legendary drivers like Michael Schumacher, Felipe Massa, Sir Jackie Stewart and more are available, with even more legendary drivers coming in 2024. So if you want to experience the new wave of legendary drivers, download F1 Clash today. The link is in the description. Let's do it. Take number one comes from Piastrification on Twitter. Great username, by the way. It's uh, very creative. Love that. Piastrification sends in, quote, 
and it's, it's, it's very to the point. The FIA should have made Max give the place back. <laughs> uh, it's, it's very straightforward. The FIA should have given Max the place, which had made Max give the place back, I should say. Now, for those who don't know what we're referring to here, this is obviously the turn one, lap one incident where Max forced Leclerc off the road um, on the opening corner. Um, Red Bull elected not to give the position back. They left it in the hands of the stewards. The stewards decided to uh, give Max a five-second time penalty for forcing another driver off. Um, and some have argued that uh, Red Bull shouldn't get a choice in the matter. Um, and I'm very curious, because steward indecisions always generate controversy and talk. So... Um, so you watched it, Sundaram. What was your gut feeling about that situation? You know, firstly, I love the handle Piastrification. So quite clearly an Oscar Piastri fan. But yeah, coming back to the take, I absolutely agree. Uh, there's no two ways about it. Uh, it was quite obvious the fact that Verstappen pushed uh, Leclerc off track. I wouldn't say that it was uh, on purpose. Quite clearly, we had very cold temperatures and he just understeered and went straight off. So... The fact is that I really agree it should have the the places should have been swapped back also because it was possible Leclerc was still P2 in the running order. Like you said, the FI, they gave Red Bull the chance to kind of figure it out internally and see if they were in the wrong and then swap positions back, but they elected not to do it. And when eventually they were given the penalty, you could also hear that GP and Verstappen were quite cool about it. Like, yeah, sure, give them my regards and I'll go on and try to... Yeah, I'll get yeah, on to try yeah. and eke out a five-second gap over Leclerc anyway, and then I can utilize the penalty. And I think off-lately teams have started to realize, or they already realize, that sometimes it's probably better to take the penalty if it gives you better track position. I mean, if you're leading a Grand Prix or if you're in the front of a pack, because then you have clean air, you have less engine overheating or brakes uh, heating up, and that kind of just helps your race in general. So I think they kind of preempted that this would eventually happen, but then we can kind of make that difference which they couldn't actually. Verstappen barely had, I think, a second and a half or two seconds over Leclerc and eventually Leclerc uh, passed him on merit roughly around lap 15. Mm. So that didn't go, that didn't really go in Red Bull's way. But if it is possible, what I would really do is I would really love to see drivers swapping places. I mean, even if the driver has taken a five or 10 second, um, I mean, gap ahead, you you got the advantage, but then you made uh, an illegal move, if I can say that. But yeah, yeah, I would love to see. I would love to see this. I I mean, I would prefer to see these uh, positions being swapped. But it's not always as straightforward. And we, like I said, we could swap it around because Leclerc was still P two. But what if he had joined in P three or P four? What do you do in that case? And yeah. that's where the five second penalty comes in. And like I said, some teams and in some situations, it does give you an advantage. I think it happened. In Italy as well with George Russell, uh, it helped him go ahead of a pack. Hamilton and Piastri as well. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's happened in the past as well. Yeah. This this is the point that I was going to make. I, I, I'm I'm fully in agreement with you. Um, I just don't like the attitude that a team has committed an offence, but then they get to yeah. choose their own punishment. And I, I'm I'm not generally a fan of that. Like the 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 prosecution isn't like, hey, you get to choose what your penalty should be. No, I'm not. A, I, I think. From a common sense standpoint, I, I've never been a fan of it. And I think you're absolutely right in that more recently, um, we've seen faster cars and faster teams who know they are faster. They will take the penalty 
because the clean air and and the track position is more valuable than the five-second time penalty that would hit them down the road. We saw it in Monza with Hamilton and Piastri. Hamilton hit Piastri. Hamilton was given a time penalty, but because the Mercedes was a lot faster than the McLaren on the day, it didn't matter. There's a couple of more blatant ones I can remember. Singapore, when Perez hit Albon, um, that was a punt at, at the hairpin. Um, Perez took the five-second penalty. It didn't matter because he was, he was in a way faster car than the Williams was anyway. So I think Oscar Piastri summed it up best at Cota during the sprint race because he was a victim of that. Because Russell passed him there during the sprint race. Russell had a five-second penalty, but he was eight seconds down the road, so it just didn't matter um, in the end. And I think Piastri used the term premeditated, and I think that is exactly what it is. It's teams that will know, well, okay, pass him illegally if you have to. Um, We'll let the stewards make the call on this, and... You know, if they give us a penalty, who cares? We've got a faster car. I'm, I'm not a fan of it. And the club mentioned this after after Vegas and said we should, probably should have swapped the places around again because he believed that having the clear air of being in the lead made it easier to manage and save tyres. Um, and that advantage was probably worth more than five seconds. And Max kind of was like, yeah, it's about the same. There's an argument you could make one way or another on this one, personally, but I I largely agree with this take on the whole. I don't like the fact that teams are gaming the system when they know they've got a faster car. Um, I know somebody, I think it was Callum, who sent me a take on this on Instagram that didn't make the show about penalties being proportionate, depending on how strong the car is. That's a bit too extreme for my tastes, but I, I'm going to give you a shout-out on the show anyway, because I actually did raise an eyebrow when I was reading through the messages. Um, I think that's a bit too I think that's a bit too strong for me, but um, I, I, I fully agree. I, I don't believe that teams should get a say in the matter. Um, it, I, the, the inmate shouldn't be running the asylum uh, you know, when it comes to F1. Um, that's, how, that's how I often describe it um love how you put it love how you put it yeah you don't get to pick your punishment and and if if you run somebody off and you uh, and you're absolutely right i I agree that generally speaking if you just give the position back and we'll let bygones be bygones that's fine but sometimes you can't do that like i said sometimes a pit window comes into play sometimes a, a race situation will not shake out properly where like i said it could be a car in between what do you do then so look, i'm not saying scrap the time penalty i'm saying that make that the last resort um and maybe even up it from five seconds because i don't think five is enough of a deterrent at this point i think you need to start hitting them harder um because that time penalty doesn't make a massive amount of difference most of the time unless there's a safety car like we got maybe for carlos signs in australia where he was off the back of a safety car and five seconds just dropped him out of the points entirely so you know it's that sort of situation but I mean, any more thoughts on syndrome? And if, and if you haven't, um, wh- how are you going to score this one? No, it's, it's it's also kind of difficult to kind of fix this because it is what it is. And you, if you try to add more layers or if you try to add more layers to the sort of penalties that you hand out, it becomes even more complicated. Like you said, probably we should increase the five-second penalty. How do you measure these sort of penalties and how do you me- and against which teams do you measure it? Because... Quite clearly, we know Red Bull have a brilliant pace advantage this year. But when you compare that to probably maybe someone like a Haas getting a five-second penalty or a seven-second penalty, uh, mm. it really isn't suited in that sense. So it's really difficult. And I think 
there isn't probably a lot of scope to kind of change this any further apart from the fact that quickly hand out the directive that you need to go back you need to swap positions uh, before the the race progresses and there are more mm. passes done so as soon as it's possibly done don't leave it in the hands of the teams to make a decision like you said and that's that yeah i mean i i'm i'm okay with the gentleman's agreement that if you immediately give it back though that'll generally be the end of the matter i'm largely fine with that if that's like but sometimes that's just not practical um and that's when you need the stewards to intervene and, and like and like you said i if anything, maybe the stewards have got too much choice where they can go anywhere from a warning to five seconds, 10 seconds, a drive-through penalty. You've got the 10-second stop-and-go as an option as well. We, we rarely see the rest of that rule book being used now. It's normally just a flat five seconds. It's rare you get anything more than that unless it's something that's really extreme, like a massive collision or some you know, some kind of nasty incident or a major rule's been broken, which just doesn't happen very often in modern day. Most teams are very disciplined these days. We get less exactly. of those, I think, I think, than ever. So um, you don't get the big howlers anymore. So, um, yeah, that, that's... I think you maybe using more of the book is is also part of the solution. Maybe make it ten seconds yeah. to uh, in, instead of five for a illegal overtake, whether it be track limits or pushing another driver off, because you you need to stop the, the, the deterrent more than anything else. We don't have to have this problem. I'm you know, I also this. think probably. No, no, no. You know, sorry, I mean, I, I think no, no, no. it's also the fact. It's also the fact that Red Bull weren't penalized in Brazil 2021. I know it's gonna rile up a lot mm, of people, mm, but that was the precedent. That was the precedent, and there was no penalty for that. So probably Red Bull probably tested the waters by saying, "Sure, let's see if we are penalized for this or not." But even if we are, I think it's not going to be too much of a problem. But yeah, you were and rating, and how much do you rate this? No, the one more point to follow up with. 2021, the back end of that season was a complete mess for that very reason because nobody knew what a penalty was anymore. Yes. Brazil <laughs> was not penalized. Saudi Arabia, Max got hit three times during that race with five second measure and then the 10 second break test. Um, and then Hamilton, you know, cut the corner opening lap in Abu Dhabi, wasn't penalized. So it, exactly. it's like in the, if the stewards are under control, half of the nasty stuff we associate with the back end of that season would probably never happens. But exactly. Hey, steward discussions are, are always a fun one, and you know, that's a, we could get into a big old rabbit hole with that for the next two hours if we wanted to. Um, I'm going to score this five. I fully agree with this in in its entirety. Um, if the option is there to swap them to force them to swap around. I think that's how you do it. Other series have no problem doing this. MotoGP's done it for a long time with, with, how, with how they've handled track limits. IndyCar does this as well, where they can force cars to drop positions. I'm, I'm largely fine with that if, if, it, if, it, if it solves the problem of teams basically choosing their own adventure. Um, this isn't one of those old Goosebumps novels. Um, you know, like the stewards have got the authority to be able to, like the, the stewards need the authority to do their jobs properly. And they should be able to tell a driver give this position back if the option is out. I think that is the best case solution for all for all concerned. And I'd rather do that than have the teams make that decision for them. So five for me on this one. How do you feel about it, Sundaram? Score wise, five for me as well. I I, yeah. I cannot disagree. It's it's a straight slam dunk. So five on five for me. Yeah, we don't normally see two fives from the same take on the same show. That's interesting. <laughs> we're off. We're off to a hot start here. This, 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 this is also going to be a hot one here. This is from Priyash Iyer on Twitter, and Priyash says, 
Science penalty, although harsh, is absolutely bang on. This is a risk we take for accepting the penalty system given by the FIA. Whatever may be the cause, he definitely did have an advantage. I'm not sure I agree with you this one on, on this one, Priyash. One more time for those who are a little bit maybe harder hearing. Science penalty, although harsh, is absolutely bang on. This is a risk we take for accepting the penalty system given by the FIA. Whatever may be the cause, he definitely did have an advantage. I'll tell you how I feel about this one straight away. This should never have been a penalty. This like There was absolutely nothing Carlos or Ferrari could have done about this situation. This was a lack of due diligence and care by the FIA as a governing body. They didn't check this track properly. Um, and it was proof because after they shut it down and cancelled the rest of FP1, did they realize that 30 water valve covers needed to be fixed across the Vegas layout. So the fact that Signs has had to take a penalty for something that was completely not his fault. It's not even like a car has failed. The track has failed. Um, and it's up to you as a governing body to make sure the track is safe. And, and Signs is... And, and look, I'll get into a little bit more detail about this in a minute, but like the penalty for me was completely unfair it's if it it wasn't a driver error it wasn't a mechanical failure on the car or anything along those lines it was um it was it was the track developers and it was the FIA not doing their due diligence when they sh this should have been ironed out instead we got a Cardi Minogue concert on Wednesday wasn't that nice um so <laughs> you know um priorities and, and all of that but uh i mean Sundaram, what, what what do you think of it first and foremost priorities priorities because this was probably formula one's biggest spectacle in a long long time and and the, the way they kind of uh put the messaging is that this is the greatest ever race in formula one but let's not talk about that sure okay see there's no question on the penalty being applied i think it was as per the regulations well, by the but book, the yeah. background it, it was by the book, but, but the background behind it was not appropriate, in my opinion. And and the fact is that, sure, teams know there are a lot of unknowns when they go racing, and they are racing unknowns when I specified that. Sure, you can have a driver colliding or crashing into you. You can have a little bit of debris that's ruin, ruining a race. So teams and drivers, they prepare for these unknowns when they step out on the track. And that's how also they kind of plan the budget. It's it's not as rigid that, okay, we have 150 million euros for the whole year. So we're going to use 10 front wings. We're going to use six engines and that's that. Mm. No, a lot of things happen during a race weekend. So you obviously sometimes need more engine parts and that's all factored in. What's not factored in is a manhole cover coming loose. And it's even more important in the budget cap era it makes more it has more importance and i mean for me the main question is why do we even have drain cover issues i know toto went on to the press conference saying we've had drain cover issues it's nothing for me it is not not nothing because there are two main things associated with this first of all driver safety if you cannot guarantee that your drain covers are welded in place securely the, the sort of crashes that we've seen, even with Romain Grosjean in Malaysia 2017, there were barriers. Yeah. E e even in Las Vegas, the barriers are so close. In Sainz's case, it didn't end up with him spinning or crashing into the barriers, but it is a safety concern as well. So I wouldn't say it's nothing. In, in my opinion, sure, you see a lot of drain covers in street circuits, but 
like you mentioned the homologation happened very very late for for uh, for this race and that's what usually happens when you have that much less time leading up to a race a race you have so many things happening in the background constructions and things being set up that homologation was left building. yeah last minute building and and that's why probably um it wasn't probably looked at correctly they do a lot of tests i must say they do a lot of tests even with the safety car and the medical car but the sort of g forces or the sort of levels of downforce formula 1 cars have is not equivalent to what you have in those cars so it's not proper it it cannot be never properly tested it can only be tested with formula 1 cars but still i think it could have been handled better and this is just my rant about manhole covers but i think it, <laughs> <laughs> this is just of my all, rant about rain of, of, of all things to rant about in the world manhole covers what what, what yeah. a topic <laughs> this, this was the man the band the drain cover grand prix uh, but yeah i mean coming back to the point about how the penalty uh, was applied i think it's it's ultimately the spirit of the game talk in in a way as well sure you really have to consider that this was not their fault so what do you do in in this sense and the reason i say spirit of the game is because supposedly supposedly from what i'm reading in articles is that there was a team principle or there was a team that we told against ferrari getting the waiver on this and that that says a lot for me yeah uh, first of all we don't know how lucky we got with carlos signs yeah. and that and that water valve cover i mean the, the story was it went through the cockpit like carlos could see directly through the cockpit of his car afterwards um and it completely destroyed the underside of the vehicle so we were very it broke signs to see we were very very lucky we're not talking about signs and serious injury here um it disintegrated ocon's car as well again we were we were very fortunate that it was that it wasn't far more serious and i, I so that's the first thing to, to oh, I wanted to point out. The second thing I wanted to point out, and this is follow up from what you said towards the end of your beloved manhole cover rant. Um, it was it was tremendous, by the way. Um, yeah, the, the political side of it is is where I have a problem because if you read the stewards' report into the penalty being administered, the stewards openly admit we would have thrown this out if we had the power to do so. Derek Warwick, who's, who's one of the more senior stewards in, in Formula One now, is a, a regular rotating steward. He openly said, we would have thrown this out if we had the authority to do so, which says to me, the stewards do not have the power to be able to do their jobs properly because this, for me, is about as blatant a case as you get a force majeure of an act of God. You, you could not control... Um, something like this happening so yeah like i i think this would have been like yeah go, go on sir you, you. no you mentioned force majeure over there and the regulations they have a very interesting point noted over here so of course they've kind of discussed this and and i get to uh, hear this from <clears throat> um a report that i read yesterday the fact that force majeure is considered but it's not around a racing incident it's more about the event being cancelled or a driver being withdrawn or the not being ones. available yeah those th- on those sort of aspects that is being considered but the, the thing is what i get to know is that this particular waiver around uh, car components was discussed and presented to teams and teams themselves they rejected it because they felt if this came into play then a lot of teams would then kind of use it as a loophole or an advantage to kind of bring these waivers into effect uh, every time it's possible to do so so that's why they kind of rejected this 
being a part of the regulation. So it just ultimately comes to bite them as well. Because the fact is that a lot of these regulations, when F- FIA makes it or F1 makes it, they sometimes also present it to the teams to hear they take their take on it. And and th- and in this case, it, it it wasn't something that they were in favor of. I mean, if you go back to, when was it? Japan 2022, when Max Verstappen won the title and there was a little bit of confusion around the point scoring system. Yeah. One of the team members, they actually went on to say that the FIA, they actually came and gave us these regulations. We didn't read it properly. It's it's not ultimately the FIA that were at fault. Sure, everyone kind of missed it. It was presented to the teams and even the teams kind of missed it. And that's what's exactly happened over here. If teams were a little bit more courageous in that sense that sure, let's have these waivers. It might not happen every single time. It's a rarity. But whenever it happens, it probably saves us from being penalized in this case. Yeah, it's exactly why Haas lodged their right to review and protested the the Austin yeah. Grand Prix result. Uh, like they, Gunther Steiner openly admitted, we knew we weren't going to win, but we wanted to draw the point that the way the regulations are governed are silly. And to a degree, he's right. I mean, if you read that right to review report, which I did, I had to do it for, for a WTF one short that I did, like point 30, the stewards absolutely lay into the regulations and the fact that, yeah, we could see it. We all saw the evidence. Well, it looks like Sergio Perez has cut the corner, but we can't do anything about it because it's not classed as evidence. So please sort out the track limit situation. That it was it was almost like a, a plea for help um, from the stewards on that one, and it's the same principle here. Like the stewards can't do their jobs properly because they don't have the authority to throw out a penalty. Because I don't blame the stewards because they they can only go by the book, and that's completely understandable. But the fact that like I think Verstappen talked about it. He said he, he said he felt terrible for Carlos that he had to take a penalty. And he said, look, we all know if it went to a team's vote, somebody would veto it. Mercedes. It, it would definitely be Mercedes. They're fighting for second in the championship right now. There is no way Toto would let that stand, by the way. Um, but that's the unfortunate nature of F1 and the fact that the teams effectively run the sport um, and the politics would come into play. This is a complete common sense situation and it's a failure in that sense. <laughs> I know, ex- exactly, which which is why it brings me to this whole spirit of the game sort of a uh, debate. I know, I know you follow... I know exactly where you're going with this. Go on. <laughs> because even you watch a lot of cricket just like me and... Ultimately, when you see certain players dismissing other players for whatever reason, you then kind of say, yeah, it's there in the regulations, but does it feel right? Does it sit right with you? It doesn't mm. usually. You might just want to go for a more fair way of, of competing and then getting an advantage rather than going through such means, which is which is why I feel and I strongly agree that, sure, it was by the book, but maybe there should have been an exception, but but quite clearly there wasn't. And and I think even in the question, it was mentioned that maybe science had an advantage. And uh, I looked into the FIA documents. Science only had a new energy store, which is not as much advantageous as having a new power unit in, in comparison. Uh, a, yeah. a whole new power unit is going to give you a massive and a more bigger power uh, output throughout the whole race and qualifying, whereas it's not as much during an, an energy store. And that's something which even Fred Vassar said, an energy store is not going to give us any advantage at all. I mean, right. at the end of it, what I feel is we've been robbed of a great battle. Signs he qualified second and he had to end up uh, starting 12th. 
Ferrari Ferrari won two, and then we saw Leclerc going up against Verstappen and Perez. Imagine if we had both Ferraris up against both Red Bulls. That would have been the proper spectacle that we would have loved to see at Las Vegas. But unfortunate weekend for science overall. And probably I think this will lead to a lot of discussions whenever everyone at the FIA and in Formula One, they sit down to kind of discuss the next set of rules and regulations and amendments. I think this will be definitely a debate. Yeah, I mean, at least have some form of legislation that can have the teams vote on it. If in, in in case of an extreme circumstance like this one, an extreme outlier, which is what this was, um, I think there should be something in the rule book to give the stewards the common sense solution. It's like, look, I, I worked in a gambling shop for many, many years. I don't, and I was always told, really? don't use, don't, yeah, yeah, six years. Um, and and I, I always said to people, we don't use the term common sense because it's, you'd be surprised how rare it actually is. Um, <laughs> and I think this is a very, this is very much a case of that. Now, in regards of relating this back to the take, you said the penalty was harsh, but bang on, this is a risk for the penalty taken. I'm kind of forced to to agree to an extent because yes, the stewards by the book did the right thing, but it wasn't because he had an advantage because all the other power unit parts that were replaced were already in his allocation. They were already in his pool of used components apart from the energy store. And as as you as Cinderam quite rightly says, that's not going to give you a performance advantage. So. Um, annoyingly, I kind of have to say four here, but I would put an asterisk next to this four and say, but the rule is nonsense. Um, so I have to agree and say, yes, it's a four. I, I mostly because I, I disagree with the last part of the take that says it, it was a, it was for a competitive reasons. It wasn't, it was literally, you know, he's only got two for the year and he had to use a third. Um, ask Charles Leclerc, he knows exactly how that feels after Saudi Arabia, right at the start of the year. Um, but I'm going to say four, but for the first time, I'm going to put an asterisk next to my four and I'm going to say, but the rule is nonsense and it needs to be changed. And so technically, Priyash is right and I agree with him but not for the reasons he thinks. <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, bending my, I'm, I'm bending my own rules on this show. I don't normally do this, but this this, this is an exceptional circumstance, so I guess it fits. <laughs> How about you, Sundaram? I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a four or maybe a five because, like you said, it's it's absolutely correct. It's absolutely correct. The way the rules were applied was right. The stewards went by the book for a change. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. But mm-hmm. yes, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it wasn't fairly applied. And surely there have to be discussions made to see what do you do in these sort of unexpected situations. How can you ensure that a fair penalty is applied if it really has to be applied, or how can you be given a waiver? So, in that sense, I think the rules do need a little bit more of tinkering to to be done uh, but yeah i think that the rules were applied fairly uh, i think yeah. the rules were applied correctly not fairly yes correctly <laughs> correctly very key cho- choice of word there. yes big difference um no i completely agree with you there right take number three comes from soundbrush on twitter and soundbrush says this one's a lot more subjective thankfully las vegas is the best circuit on the calendar for racing if the organizers were to work out the issues with the fan experience and adjust the ticket pricing the event as a whole would be the best f1 grand prix altogether interesting so yeah vegas is the best circuit on the calendar and calendar best second calendar for racing if the organizers were to work out the issues with the fan experience and adjust the ticket price in the event as a whole would be the best f1 grand prix altogether 
What's your initial gut feeling on that, Zinderam? Because this is a wide-ranging, very subjective take. How did you feel about Vegas in general? Uh, firstly, credit where it's due. I think we had a brilliant race, and I say race only, not the whole event, because <laughs> right throughout 50 laps, there was something or the other happening. And keeping aside all the hype, keeping aside all the comical driver announcements or ceremonies and all the issues leading up to the main race, I think ultimately we had a brilliant race sure there were a lot of questions there were a lot of criticisms about what was happening people really doubted if this was going to be a great date and and i'll admit i was one of those people but i think the race ended up being the saving grace for for the event for the organizers and formula one because imagine if it was a controversial race otherwise and i mean only the grand prix imagine if it was a boring race if you didn't see as many overtakes I don't know how, where they would go to hide the and, and hide their faces, but ultimately it was a great race. Now coming to the take, it's about it being the best circuit, and like you said, it's subjective. Everyone has a different opinion. I am not of the opinion that it's the best circuit out there, even from a racing point of view, um, because. I know a lot of people have spoken about the upside down pig. I'm not even talking about the layout because it doesn't really spider matter pig, what the layout. Spider pig <laughs> does whatever a spider pig does. Mm, can you spin from a web? No, we can't. No, no, you, you know the rest. Carry on. Okay. I, 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 no. I had to get that in. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's not even about the layout or what the layout looks, but the sort of challenge that it, it, it presents for the drivers and the sort of excitement that it can build for fans who are watching it at the race or even at home in that sense i don't find this track to be very inspiring and that's kind of the case with most street circuits take baku for example when i Mm. first saw the layout of baku there was only 90 degree turns and straights and then one slightly technical corner but a technical section where you don't have a lot of high speed corners but that's what happens you're not racing on expressways or highways you're racing right in the heart of the city because that's where Formula One wants to bring the sport to you, right in the middle of city roads. And that's what you get to see. You only get to see these sort of characteristics around the race. And in that sense, you're really trying to put down other tracks, maybe Silverstone, Interlagos, Suzuka, when you say mm. this is the best circuit. I think those circuits have a lot more character and they really present a huge challenge for, for drivers in, in the sense, the sort of undulations that they have or the high-speed corners that they have. I think Mugello was a beautiful track. For some reason, whenever we go to a MotoGP track, even Qatar, for, the, for example, yeah. the sort of G-forces drivers put them through and the sort of, I mean, the sort of pain and effort that they put themselves through is probably good for us to see because I see them going absolutely at the limit. But in that sense, maybe Las Vegas for me, we had a good race this time. I, I, I'll still say that we had a great race, but maybe not in my opinion, maybe not the best circuit. It's an interesting take. There's a lot of different ways and angles you can, you can look at, you can look at this from. I agree. I think this was a very good F1 race. One of the better ones we've had this season. I put it up there with Zanvoort and maybe Singapore for just best races on the year for F1. Um, And I think, yeah, it actually turned out to be quite good for racing. There was multiple places you could pass. Um, the, The DRS, the zones meant you could follow a second car more effectively and set up a pass a little bit easier. I liked some of the creativity, like Hulkenberg going around the outside. I think it was a Daniel Ricciardo. We had Ocon do a couple of dives turn five was a viable passing lane and of course the strip and that's that was a great outside spectacle you know we had 
cars hitting over 230 miles an hour um, during during this as well. I think science hit 366 um, in kilometers an hour, which is which is not speed. Um, and look, that's that's a cool image of them doing that down the back of the Vegas Strip. For aesthetics, it's uh, it was okay. I agree with you. I, I put a tweet out there during the weekend that I, I literally joked and said that they, they're trying to work out all these wide shots because it looks too much like Jeddah. Um, because when you're on the ground level watching these cars, all these night race street circuits look exactly the sodding same. Singapore and Jeddah and Vegas, you'd struggle to be able to tell the difference. Um, so yeah, that's something that that probably needs a bit of work maybe some better presentation from a camera standpoint overall because i know soundbrush mentioned the fan experience and the ticket pricing and yeah these are things that are absolutely going that need to be worked on i think two thousand dollars for a general admission weekend ticket in a grandstand is a joke um then the most expensive f1 tickets i believe ever that and I get why F1's the sole promoter of this race. They want to make as much money as they can. They want to exploit the rich locals. It's Las Vegas for crying out loud. If you're if you're living there, chances are you've got money. Um so yeah, like I think the ticket pricing is crazy, but they got 315,000 over the weekend, so I can't say it didn't work um annoyingly. And then the fan experience of course, the Friday fiasco with the practice sessions was obviously awful and um I don't care what the sport says that that should have been full refunds for the day pass holders and at least a partial refund for anyone that had a weekend ticket because you got eight minutes of action um on the day and yes it's unfortunate you had to delay a practice session but that's your fault for not checking your track properly as, as a promoter and a governing body in working together to make a grand prix happen so i think and look the Americans did what the Americans do best. They sued the crap out of him. So that's going to be interesting to see what happens with that class action lawsuit um, on the back of it. So I think a lot of the things I've just said will be ironed out for year two. Uh, there's still a couple of things I'd like to see them work on, maybe an earlier start time. This doesn't have to be a night race. Um, it could be like an Abu Dhabi twilight race if it really came down to it. Um Oh, some Rams someone wants to chance to chip in on that one. Go on. <laughs> I'm, I'm listening. Uh, because because the fact is that if you keep the race any earlier, it's not going to be fit for the European audience. I mean, when did you watch the race? At six AM in the morning? Six AM UK time, yeah. Which is which, which is like which is like a, a Japan Australia sort of like breakfast slot for us Europeans. So, exactly. Yeah. It, it's a problem because you can't really go much later because most people in Vegas can't work beyond like one or two in the morning, but then you can't really go earlier because your race is going to be in no man's land for the rest of Europe. But then again, if you're in America, it was 1am Eastern when a home race is going on for them. So no one wins. It's a really, it's, exactly. a, really dif it's a really difficult one because, you know, does, does Vegas have to be a light night race? probably kind of does for the aesthetics of it because of all the lights and the vegas experience but does it have to would, be a night would race a, would a day race have the same sort of charm do you think that, 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 i i don't I, yeah that's the problem i agree with you it's difficult i mean I, i'm inclined to agree with you it's like if you're gonna do this you kind of want it to be a night race because of the neon of, of vegas that's part of the aesthetics so there's look 
annoyingly, this is still probably a net positive weekend for F1. Yes, Friday was a bit embarrassing. They may have to pay a fair amount of money out of court for this class action lawsuit that's coming up, but winning generally solves everything, as I often say in, in, in this sport. Winning generally solves a lot of problems. So they got a genuinely good race out of it. They got a very good weekend turnout. Um, that's a step in the right direction. They will, they will probably leave Vegas with more positives than negatives. Do I think it's the best circuit on the calendar for racing? Not quite. I still, I, my personal favorite is still Bahrain. I think Bahrain is still one of the best tracks we go to um, all year. And that's my personal favorite. I'm glad it's the season opener. I think, I think it's the perfect race for the season opener. Um, and I think that's still number one for me. But Vegas was good. I, I can't complain from a racing standpoint. We got a good one here. So I'm going to say to score it overall, this is a tough one, actually, because there's a lot of different ways I can look at this. I think they'll iron out a lot of their issues for year two because Miami had that problem in year one and Miami was a more, it was a better organized event the second time round. So I'm going to say three. I'm on the fence on this one because I think it's good, but I don't think it's the number one track for racing. I agree that the fan experience and ticket pricing is kind of a problem, but if people are prepared to pay it in Vegas, then I can't complain. Like it's, you know, it's you're only worth what someone's prepared to pay for you. And there were 300,000 people that were prepared, you know, well, not 300,000 people because they count multiple days twice, but there was certainly a large amount of people that were more than prepared to pay the two grand. So, again, I can't really diss it in that sense. So, I'm going to say three. I'm, I'm on the fence on this one. And I don't normally say three, but I will in this case because I think. I agree with the overall sentiment, but I have different problems and things I would tweak to make it better. So I'm going to say three on this one. I think I'll go with the two because, I mean, the questions on the fan experience and the ticket pricing, like you mentioned, they will get better. Mm. But even from a pricing standpoint, I think this is still always going to be the most expensive race of the year. And that's just about it. You Not every race is for every single F1 fan out there. If you, I mean... This would probably people like me would go to Malaysia or Hungary because it's more affordable. Um, but probably the Las Vegas Grand Prix is not just for me or not just for everyone. So it's still going to be the most expensive race of the season. It's probably going to be the the, the coldest race of the season as well. Uh, Singapore is going to be the hottest, but this might turn out to be the coldest race of the season. But yeah, not my in my opinion, it's it's not the best circuit. I, I'll still give it a two, only because we had a great first race race. Uh, I think we'll we'll come back to this whole opinion in maybe next year as well. See if I think so how, too. how much has it changed over the next year. So for now, I'll go with two. Yeah, all I'll say is I think F1 got very lucky that the race turned out to be as good as it was. Because if it wasn't, I think the I think people would be a lot more critical uh, of the overall experience. But like I said, I think the fact we actually got a good race distracted i think a lot of people from some of the bigger issues that came up during during the grand prix itself so um F, i think f1 can count itself quite lucky in how that actually played out in the end but hey good for them i suppose um take number four comes from niam patel and niam says ferrari not boxing charles under the safety car was an error that was overlooked by many in vegas ah the key pitch strategy that changed the race. George Russell turned into Max Verstappen, debris on track, safety car called, 
most of the leaders box except for for Leclerc at the front of the field and Leclerc eventually gets beaten for second in the end so Ferrari not boxing Charles under the safety car was an error that was overlooked by many in Vegas, says Niam. Um, Cinderam, I mean, you're the stats guy. I trust your judgment on this one a little bit more than my own. How do you feel about that as a fan watching it? And uh, what, what did you make of that situation? Now, firstly, I must say I love these sort of takes because it, you know, it, it makes me go back and look at the whole situation once again, try to mm. look at it from different angles. And I have to say, I did learn a little bit more trying to prep for this. Uh, but ultimately, if I say that looking back at the race, looking back at the data, I don't think so. It's an error. It will only be an error if it kind of uh, made them lose an opportunity or or the probability of winning the race, which I felt wasn't there either way. If, I mean, if we say if, the, the safety car wasn't there, then I'll say absolutely Leclerc had a chance to win the race without that mid-race safety car because here's the thing, they had great pace throughout the whole weekend. His, he put the car on pole and they had great pace even on the medium tires. They had better pace than the Red Bulls on those medium tires. So everything went well for Leclerc up until that point. Uh, Verstappen pitted on lap 16 and Leclerc pitted on lap 21, which gave him a five-lap advantage uh, in, uh, in the sense that it seemed Verstappen and Leclerc both were going for a one-stop strategy. So towards the end, that's where it would have benefited Leclerc with five-lap fresher tires. But now that we have a safety car, people are looking at it the other way. Leclerc did not pit. Would that have really helped? Now, the fact is that if you look at the numbers, Red Bull were actually better than Ferrari in terms of race pace on the hard tires. And that's something Red Bull does very well with the hard tires. They're able to switch it on and they're able to eke out a little bit more pace than, than the Ferraris. I mean, Ferrari in general, they had a much better weekend only because of the cooler temperatures. If this was Abu Dhabi or if this was some other place, uh, a Middle Eastern country mm. where it's a lot more higher the temperatures, then they would be struggling. But the conditions kind of worked in their favor. But still, on hard tires, Red Bull were quicker. So I kind of went back and visualized what if Leclerc pitted. Okay, so that means the running order is still going to be the same. Sergio Perez, Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen. Okay, in that sense, you could say Leclerc would have passed Perez because Perez was uh, driving with a loaded wing. He had a higher downforce wing this time out. And mm-hmm. he did say that he was losing out a lot on, on the main straight uh, or, or, or on the back straight. So in that sense, I do predict that Leclerc would have had the pace to get past Perez. But Verstappen was mighty quick on his hard tires. And he had, I mean, slightly a little bit more pace than Leclerc um, uh, in those tires. You also have to consider that Verstappen had, uh, I think he lost his front wing end plate in that collision with George Russell. He did, yeah. They did not change that. When he went to the pits, they did not change his front wing. So it really didn't affect him as much in terms of downforce. But still, he was able to get uh, ahead of Leclerc on pace. So in my opinion, it probably didn't have that high a probability that Ferrari would have absolutely won the race if they had pitted. Uh, So in my case, I don't think so. I can fault Ferrari for this. Yeah, but this is my perspective. I don't think this was a howler by Ferrari. I think I think it's very easy to call out Ferrari for their poor strategic decisions. It's happened many a time. So I, I get why people immediately looked at this. And because Leclerc would only go on to finish in second, people will look at that as if, as if they made the wrong call. I don't have a massive problem with with what Ferrari did on the day. I think they overall got it right. I think 
I just think the, the Ferrari wasn't as good on the hard tyres as the Red Bull was. And I think that's ultimately what did them in, not stopping or not stopping. I mean, yeah, okay, Leclerc's hard tyres were five laps older than Max's. And maybe with the amount of graining we saw on the Pirelli tyres, and maybe the colder temperatures, you know, amplified the effect of the tyre wear situation. But this is what Red Bull are really, really good at. If anyone knows on the technical detail about what the RB19 is really good at, they're not a qualifying car for this very reason. They pack their car with understeer to protect it during race pace stints because they're, just, they're so much better and lighter on their tires than all their other rivals. That's what makes them so destructive in, in, in races. And I think, the, I think the hard tire was the better race tire. Um, um, and I think Red Bull were better on them than Ferrari was, and I think that's what ultimately did them in, regardless of whether Leclerc stopped or not. I think, I, I think it's a bit easy to you know throw Ferrari under the bus and say, oh, it's another Ferrari strategic goof, and you know it's it's it's. I don't think this was one of those occasions. I don't think it would have mattered. I think look, Verstappen beat Leclerc with a damaged front end plate. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> the faster man and i think the right man eventually won it was just you know a bit unfortunate for for leclerc that you know the frustration of being so close to winning but ultimately not doing so is gonna i think maybe have people focus more on leclerc's race and go well ah here's the obvious error you know this this safety car situation and, and strategical calls to whether to stop or not <laughs> So the other fact is that I mentioned about the end plate. Probably Ferrari thought that maybe Red Bull are going to change the front wing because if they do, I mean, if they did change the front wing, that would mean another five, six seconds of uh, the gap between Verstappen and Leclerc. So in that sense, maybe they thought, okay, let's stay out. Verstappen is going to pit. He's going to change his front wing. That gives us a long enough gap for us to have for for the end of the race. I mean, I I did watch uh, the pit stops once again. And when the safety car was called out, Ferrari had roughly had around 15 to 20 seconds and they did see Perez going into the pits first so they could obviously react to that but I also saw the angle of the Ferrari garage at the same time all the 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 pit crew and the engineers were out there the pit crew was out there but they were more focused for signs it didn't really look like that they were getting ready for a double stack it seemed that they were very sure that we're going to go ahead with a one-stop strategy no matter what's happened it's roughly been just five laps since we pitted uh, Lick Lick, so we're going to stick with this one-stop strategy and we think it's probably going to benefit us. I mean, in hindsight, you could say it probably wouldn't have hurt them as much. They did have a spare set of hard tires. They could have given it a try, but I don't think so. It's that big an error at all. They extended that medium stint for that very reason. They, they, exactly. They, clear, they, clearly exactly. Thought the one, they clearly thought the one-stopper was viable, which is understandable. They were very good on their medium tire. Um, they, they, clearly, they came into their own in the back half of that stint. They were, they were carving time out of Verstappen early on, and with Verstappen on a penalty as well that he still had to serve at that point. They knew he had a penalty to serve. It's understandable. They went for the one-stopper thinking, okay, let's let Max try and chase us. I completely get that strategic point of thinking. So, yeah, I didn't have a big problem with how Ferrari handled it. I just think they were unlucky. I think the timing of that safety car hurt a lot of people in the field. People that were thinking about maybe doing a one-stopper had the decision taken out of their hands. The people that were further back, like Perez and Stroll and um, guys who were you know, looking for some way of going off sequence, um, that came into their hands beautifully with how it played out. And like 
for other teams, they just lost out because of the timing. I mean, it's, we saw it in Singapore, exact same way. I think Red Bull still could have won that race if the, if the safety cars had played out in a different way. But the, the, the twice they happened in that Singapore race was the worst times they could have possibly had it happen to them. So... Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's 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 rough uh, in in that sense. So and and yeah. these are the sort of unknowns people are prepared for. They know that a safety car can come out at any point of time and ruin a race, and they know this could happen. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is it can be it can be rough like that? Certainly. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say two on this one. I, I disagree. I don't think this was um, a, a big error by Ferrari. I think especially on a street circuit race, you never know when that safety car is going to happen. You expect one will happen, but you never quite know when. And that can uh, that can ruin strategies. It can make you think on the fly. And I don't think um, keeping Leclerc out when the safety car dropped and keeping track position, I think that was the right decision. I don't, I don't think it was a, a Ferrari strategic haunts moment, as we often say on the internet. So I'm going to say two on this one. I don't, I don't think this was a howler at all. I'll go with two as well, um, only because, like I said, there probably was a chance that they could have pitted. They had the tires. It wouldn't have pushed them down the grid because even the other cars, like maybe Stroll and the others, it was about the right time and they had to pit for the second time as well. So Ferrari kind of realized that, sure, we're probably not going to lose grid position as well. We have the tires, but probably they didn't go for it. So <clears throat> I don't see that it would have been uh, it, it would have given them a great benefit. So I think I'm going with the two on this as well. Yep, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I think it's a two. This is Ferrari's had far bigger goof ups than this one. This this like, like, yeah. I think it just means <laughs> I think it just means more because Leclerc was so close to winning. I think that's why people have drawn into that a bit more. But I I, I don't think that uh, this one was a a massive haunts moment as we often say on the interwebs. Uh, final take of the episode comes from uh, Stin Renson, who is a very regular contributor. I've, I finally picked one of his takes out. I don't I don't do it. Enough enough because he sends them in on Twitter all the time. He's fantastic for that. So uh, hi, Stin. Uh, He says, the current season is not only too long for the drivers, but also too long for the fans. A very subjective and one from a very tired position, I assume. Um, So yeah, the current season is not only too long for the drivers, but also too long for the fans. This was the 20 first race we've had in f1 this year and it really should have been the 23rd because we we in a sense we were kind of lucky or unlucky that we didn't get china and we and imola was obviously called off for sad reasons um with the flooding and all that um so that was horrible to hear so we've had 21 out of 22 rounds this was meant to be a 24 race season We, we will be a 24 race um 2024 season um, you, you, you'd assume that this isn't going to happen twice. These are these were acts of God and a big old COVID policy. So yeah, you, you think we're going to get a full slate next year, a season that starts in February and ends in December next year. Like I, I think the first day of Bahrain is February 29th, a leap year day, which is funny enough as it is. My goodness. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is a very personal one. I mean, everybody's different when it comes to this. Some people are going to like their racing like NASCAR. Where you get a, like 36 races. You get a, a race every weekend, and that's your routine and love it. Um, from a personal level, as a content creator, I'm exhausted. 
and I know I'm not the only one out there. Um, I, I'd written that point in, in my notes as well. Even I'm exhausted. So I, I definitely feel you here. Like I'm a football, I'm, I'm I'm recording this watching a Manchester wearing a Manchester United shirt as we speak, and as a sports fanatic and football fan in general, it reminds me a lot of where football is going. Where it's almost like a twelve month news cycle now. I mean, I, I was reading Alpine's race preview for Abu Dhabi this weekend, and in it, I I saw a stat in there that made my eyes keel over, where it just said, "By the time the checkered flag comes out, it'll only be ninety seven days before the next season starts," and I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> I, I swore profusely. Uh, I was just like, but by the time next season ends, there'll be less than a hundred days before we go again in Bahrain. It's just outright. And when you, as a content creator, and this is just speaking from a personal standpoint, it never really dies down. December and maybe a bit of January, it'll be quiet. But then end of January, you'll start getting car launch dates being revealed like that's normally around valentine's day like like middle of february you'll start seeing cars being launched the excitement starts to build up um you've got pre-season testing in bahrain you'll see these cars on track the week before the actual grand prix so it's it's almost like it's like a 10 month cycle of news now in f1 maybe 10 and a half months it feels a lot like the premier league nowadays and look I speak from a position of privilege. I'm very lucky and very fortunate to be able to do this. Most people don't. And I know the drivers have talked about it. And look, the way we are as sports fans, we don't feel sorry for elite athletes. We just don't. Because a lot of people will just go, well, you're paid X amount of money. You live this lavish, luxurious life, and it'll all be fine. And you know, that's what Kevin Magnuson said in regards to you know the busyness of it all. The mechanics, the engineers, the the PR people, the the people on the ground floor, the the thousand or so people that make up a big name F one team that are not the drivers. Those are the people I feel really sorry for because they are working one hundred hour weeks, going around the world. They don't get to see their families very often. You know, there's a lot of double and triple headers that are now all over this calendar. I remember a few years ago, July had had four races in a month, which is just it's it's eye it's eye rolling it's 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 incredible in the worst possible sense i i don't envy any of those people at all so look i grew up in a time where 16 to 17 races was the norm when i first started watching formula one and i've slowly seen it creep up where it's now 18 19 when vettel was dominant it was we we just hit 20 um and i thought okay this has got to be the limit now we're at 20 grand prix and now we're at 24 we're now on the concord agreement maximum going forward now and sunram i love f1 as much as the next guy but 10 months a year of this is a little crazy to me don't you think Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and and I and I like the fact that this opinion has come from from a fan, because even if a fan feels that it's exhausting, it's way too much information to watch and consume, then you can can't really kind of imagine what happens with drivers and even especially the pit crew and everyone who travels to these races. I mean, from a creator's perspective, I'm usually spent around October or November, especially when we start having the double headers and the triple headers coming in. That's when I'm really thinking, when is the season going to end? And I'm just being absolutely honest over here. It really is a lot to take in. Probably also because there's 
so much social media probably there's so much happening between races when i grew up i would just tune into a race probably on a saturday every two weeks later and just watch the race and tune off i'd probably mm. get a little bit of information from the newspapers but that was just about it now we kind of wake up every day on instagram and on youtube there's a lot of stuff that's happening a lot of uh, in more information more news that we have to kind of get up to speed on and in that sense there's too much information we are consuming we are processing we're trying to understand and formula 1's trying to do 24 races 25 races including sprints which is i think way too much and and like you said we have we have passed the good old days where we had seasons with 16 <laughs> 17 18 races i mean i i pulled out the numbers for this so between 1973 and 2003 all the seasons were between 14 to 17 races long and i think they had the perfect balance and it also mm. kind of coincides with the time when bernie eccleston took over the sport at least from a broadcasting angle these were the yeah. 40 years or a bit more than that when he was deciding all these things so they found the right balance in that sense we hit 18 races in 2004 we hit 20 races in 2012 but when liberty media came and they realized that the sport is growing we are kind of bringing or we are improving the popularity so let's kind of juice out as much as possible so that's why we're going towards 24 25 races but that's the norm when you have a popular sport and i i think you would agree with football or even cricket for that matter there's mm. just so much happening throughout a year that you you don't even get enough time to miss it you don't even get enough time to kind of anticipate okay i i really can't wait for the next race but sadly that is the reality you don't appreciate it as more it's not exclusive as as it was as before and and gone are the days when you would have 18 to 20 races i think that's the perfect balance 20 races mm. is perfect you go to a bunch of different countries but like i said you have more countries more cities wanting to host a race which is more opportunities to generate revenue uh, for formula 1 so what do what do they do do you not supply to that demand if you are a growing sport that makes money the easiest way to make more money is to put on more races there is there, exactly. there's no getting around that formula there's no easier way to make more money than just have more events we haven't if you, if you want to test your audience that they haven't hit the biting point yet where people will start treating events less seriously i i grew up a big mixed martial arts fan as well back when the early days of the ufc only had maybe one pay-per-view a month and they have maybe only 13 or 14 events for the year then they went to 20 to 25 to 30 pay-per-views a year i couldn't afford to keep up with it at that point and then you start picking and choosing events about which fights looked more intriguing um and you see where i'm going with the analogy here is that once you get once you get fans in a position where they can start picking and choosing and that every like not every race matters or feels as important that's when you know you've hit your saturation point you talked about cricket as well the the cricket world cup finished this sunday australia are playing 5t20s against india this week <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's a constant cycle where like it's like we just stopped playing the biggest tournament in the sport and then literally days later we go again we got we got another world cup to think about next year only for t20s rather than one dayers i mean it's and i mentioned football players are getting hurt more often than than ever before i saw a stat the other day in the premier league that in, the injuries are up 15% this season because we're playing too many games so yeah burnout is a very real thing and 
everybody, and this, I think this is not just an F1 problem, I think it's a motorsport problem in general, everybody is trying to get more bang for their buck now. And, like, if you look at the other series, I mean, you're a big MotoGP fan, Cinderella. Like, I literally see the Valentino Rossi memorabilia in the background, and I know exactly how you feel about it. I'm a big MotoGP fan myself. They've gone to 20 races in recent times. They're going to have 21 next year, and they went all in on the sprint format by making by putting sprints on every weekend. And shocker, injuries are through the roof in that series. What a surprise. IndyCar has gone up to 18 rounds. They added in an exhibition race next year in a country club just because. Um, World Superbikes, for example, they used to be two races a weekend. They're now at three races a weekend. Like Formula E is now listed with double headers across it. They're going to their biggest ever calendar next year. They're going to have 17 races. Everybody is trying to add more. Everyone's trying to put more value, get more bang for your buck in your series, and just give us more and more and more content. And eventually, people will will burn out. It's we're human. There's only so much of that we can tolerate. And yeah, like if you were a more casual formula one fan who feels like they don't have to watch every single race you are far more likely to pick and choose events you want to watch you're not going to watch every single race because there's it feels like there's a race on every week half the time and 24 is is nuts i mean this is my first year covering the sport professionally but i've been doing so as a hobbyist for a decade it's never been this hard um and and I am, I personally, I love F1 as much as the next guy. I can't wait for next week to just, just so we can just take a break for a little bit because I, I, I don't, I don't even remember 2021 Cinderella real quick, but before, before we wrap this up, but that was a race that was two weeks before Christmas when I just thought, what are we doing here? <laughs> There's a Christmas tree in my living room right now while watching a Formula One race. This is not normal. I grew up with F1 series ending in October. <laughs> it's now like next year, we're going to have a Grand Prix the second week of December. <laughs> what? <laughs> like It's like the World Cup final last year. The World Cup final in, in football was, was a week before Christmas. Uh, and, and, oh, it's, 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 it's not normal. Um, and this seems uh, emotional and it's, 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 and everybody's story is different. So I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to this. Some people will love the fact that they get an F1 race every week and that they, you know, just have, you know, more and more action and content. And I think you made a great point as well, Sundaram, about information available. We've got so much more available to us now than we did 20 years ago when it was literally read a paper, read a magazine maybe the most embryonic form of, of the internet. Um, but now it's everywhere. You can dedicate your entire social media to following this sport. And it's it can be overkill. I, I, can, I completely get why so many content creators and friends I know in this game are burnt out. So... Overkill's five. the right word. Overkill's yeah. the right word. I mean, if you go mm. back just one year before 2021... 2020 had 17 races in the last six months of the year. It started in the first week of July and it ended oh. in mid-December. That was the most busiest F1 season that we had because we had races literally every second week. And I can't. I, that was my first year of doing content proper. 
proper content mm. that whole season and i was like i really can't wait for the christmas period i need a two week break before <laughs> i do another post on instagram and trust me it was really really beneficial but then i think this is what it's going to be there's no remedy for this we just get used to this adjust to this mm. and it really it really is bad for a sports fan if you're watching multiple sports there's also cricket that i want to see there's also formula 1 that i want to see if if there's the opportunity i would love to follow formula 2 formula 3 i'm i'm really getting on the the formula academy as well f1 academy as well so there's so much that we want to do but there's just so little time and i often tell this to my mother if only our days had 40 hours in a day i would be able to do so much work i would be able to oh, do so much yeah. content i would look after myself i would go to the gym i would go and get some sunlight every day unfortunately we only have 24 hours in a day but yeah, yeah. i'm going to give this a 10 i'm just going to give this a 10 it's not not a 5 i'm giving this a 10 like, yeah, i i couldn't I f- agree more to this <laughs> yeah i f- it's a very obscure joke from the movie men in black when i was a kid when the, when the when the agents in that movie run on a 37 hour day and it makes so much more sense um I, it's a five from me like I, i completely agree like i i would be more than happy and i would never notice the difference if we had an f1 season that had 17 18 races again and it ended in early november that would be fine like you know it's it, we don't need 24 grand prix i don't care what you tell me like i love this sport but i don't need 24 grand prix to love it any more than i already do that that's how i look at it and you know like i said everybody's opinion is different please like again reach out to me dre harrison w the wtf1 on instagram dre underscore wtf1 on twitter i'd love to hear your perspective on this because uh this is one of there's no right or wrong answer here if you're the sort of person that just wants as much as possible you're gonna love this scenario and, I, and then that's that's your personal opinion and that's your right and good for you if, if 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 you enjoy having that much available to you to be able to use and, and utilize and all that but i mean yes i speak from a position of privilege and i will never ever ever lose sight of that i'm very lucky to be able to do this but on a human level it is absolutely exhausting i promise you I'm not the only one that is running virtually on empty as we get to Abu Dhabi this weekend, the final round of the season. But that'll do it for Hot Takes Wednesday. Sundaram, but just before we get out of here, tell the good people where they can find you, please. Log yourself. Right. So you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. So I do a lot of stats and facts. Uh, I also do a lot of uh interesting i really kind of bring out a lot of stories from the history of the sport which a lot of people don't know i'm going to do a very interesting reel in the coming days uh, i hope you guys like that as well but yeah if you like numbers do follow me uh, under f1 stats guru on instagram and twitter uh but Dre, i think this was a hell of an episode i think we really spoke from our heart and uh we i, I kind of vented at, at one point as well but i think this was a great episode I couldn't agree more. One of the best I've done since <laughs> since I've been over here. And I don't normally say that publicly. I'm, uh, Caroline's going to be joking with me in the background saying, Dre, I thought you said you don't tell everybody that they're your favorites. But Sundaram, you're my favorite. So I'm, t- I'm telling ah. you, I'm not t- I, don't t- I don't tell everybody this. Um, but no, it, I, I love the episodes where we can be a bit more personal because yeah, it's, it's a personal experience. Every story is different. And I think... Look, as much as it's an engineering competition Formula 1, we care most about the fleshy bit behind the wheels, what I always mm-hmm. tell people. <laughs> and the human element is what makes this sport so compelling and captivating. So, 
any way I can tap into that human experience, I am all for. So, uh, and hey, we've gone like 70 minutes here and I don't care because it, it's, 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 because it's just, it, it makes for a better show. I'm more, I, I love that people emailed saying, Dre, we don't mind if it goes longer. So let's do it. So yeah, this has been a lengthy one, but I've loved every minute. I hope you guys enjoyed it too. Um, we'll be back next week uh, after the season finale of Formula One in Abu Dhabi. Um, hopefully we'll get some more hot takes to talk about on next week's show. But until then, from me and from Cinderam, thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you guys soon. Sayonara. <laughs>